Good morning. Our scripture this, re- this morning is from Galatians 5, 16 through 18 and 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Well, amen. So for a few of you, I probably should introduce myself, okay? I know I've been gone a couple of weeks. Yeah, my mic's off. All right, sorry. Let's try that again. For a few of you, I should introduce myself. I'm out of practice turning my mic on. So uh, let's see. Bo, could you come up here just a second and help me with this? We need to kind of pick it up, and it'll slide back in place. This is your first opportunity to serve at Chalford, all right? I don't think it's going to move. Try it one more time from the back, maybe. There, it moved a little. Well, it'll be all right. It's Johnny doesn't need it, and I've, uh, I think it'll be all right. Let's see what it looks like when I put the words up there. Can you all see that all right? looks like it's still aiming to the sky there. Let's try one more time, all right? That's what I wanted. That's better, all right? So we're in our series on discipleship. Hasn't Johnny done a marvelous job? I know, I know he'll watch this, so he ought to hear some amens from the crowd, all right? He, he's, he's done a marvelous job in leading us. And when we started this series, I asked Johnny if he would plan the whole thing and just tell me when to preach. That's kind of backwards the way we have typically done things in the past. And so I said, man, it's yours. You plan it, you figure out how it fits, and you assign me some times to preach. And so I have my assignments. I have a few weeks that I'm going to be preaching. This is one of them because he and Carrie had a gift and a way to get away together and left the children with grandchildren I mean, with the grandparents, uh, and uh, left, the, left the kids, and the grandparents are glad to go to church this morning so that they can take a breath and let somebody else play with the kids, all right? But we're going to continue in this unfolding the vision for what it means to be a disciple. And this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill this call to follow Jesus. Now, Let me just remind you, we have put this up here because it really is our definition of what it means to be a disciple. There have been many occasions that I have talked to pastors. I've even talked to guys in large churches who have the assignment called the the minister of discipleship. And I would say to them, can you give me a simple definition of what it means to be a disciple? Because, you know, unless something is simple, it's not transferable. And unless it's transferable, it will never multiply. And so I said, so what is a simple definition of being a disciple? And almost on every occasion, even those who know the complexities of disciple making cannot give you a simple definition. And so I hope this sticks in you. I hope if you ever hear the word disciple, this is one of the first things that comes to your mind. Because it's when Jesus invited his disciples and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
It's a short verse. I hope by now you've memorized it. So let's just say it all together, all right? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now be reminded that in those three things that hook together, we see what God is saying about how the discipleship process takes place. Jesus calls us to be with him. To be with him. To have a relationship. It's not that he throws a book at us and says, go read it and figure it out. But he said, follow me. And then he said, I will change you. I will be in the process of remaking you from the inside out. And when I do, you will join in the family business of people. Part of the way you can tell if you're a disciple is how you see people. Do you see people and know that if they don't know Jesus, they need Jesus? If you see people and you believe that they know Jesus, do they need to be encouraged to walk with Jesus? All of that is baked into the definition and the description of being a disciple. So, here is a question that I have for you. I put, believe it or not, all that little part at the top of the outline today is the introduction. Okay, This is to set the scene. Question, if discipleship is following Jesus, how do I follow him now? I mean, I mean he's, he's not physically around. I mean, when he was here on earth, he said, follow me, and the guys left their nets, and they, they walked with him. They, they hung out with him. They, they slept around the campfire together. They went to the mountains together. They ate together. They were together when they fed the crowds and when he worked the miracles. But he's gone. I mean, in a sense, he's gone. The Messiah who was here walking on earth as the infinite God-man raised from the dead and then he ascended into heaven. So, it's a fair question to ask. Is that still the call? Are we still called to follow him? And one of the best ways I think I can answer that question, and it's a good sincere question to have, how can we follow him if we can't see him physically hanging out with us? Well, if you turn to the end of John and today, if you want to keep up with these, I gave you all the references. I hope they're right. <laughs> I hope, I, you know, sometimes you can mess up a number on a reference and have somebody turn to a really strange place, you know. Uh, it's like the guy who said he was just going to open his Bible and point and do whatever it said. And he, he opened his Bible, put his finger down, and it says, and Judas went out and hanged himself, you know. And so he said, well, you know, uh, he said, that may not be right. So he, he flipped it and pointed again, and he says, uh, what thou do, doest, do quickly. You know, so he, I mean, you better be careful just flipping to the Bible and maybe getting the reference wrong. But here I have a reference for you on following Jesus that I hope shows you that it's something we do even though he's physically not here. Here's the scene. Peter had denied Jesus, you remember? And he had denied him, and during this scene in John, Jesus is restoring him he's letting him know that he's forgiven and he can go on with life and be a ambassador or representative of Christ even though he had denied him on the day of his crucifixion following all of that 
Jesus describes to Peter the kind of death he's going to die. John actually says, parenthetically, right before the verse, he, he talked about this as the way he would die. And church history records that Peter, too, was crucified. And that he said, because he loved Jesus so much, he said, I'm not worthy to die the same way as my Lord. So they crucified him upside down. That's, that's recorded in church history, not in the pages of your scripture. But there was a death predicted to Peter. And so Peter, you know, I love Peter. I mean, he, he says some things that no one else would say, and he asks some questions that no one else would ask. And so Peter, kind of frustrated, points over to John and says, well, what about him? I'm sure your kids have never done that, you know. We just had seven missionary kids in our house for the last four days of all kinds of ages. And uh, there were a few times there was a little comparison and a little, that's mine, that's mine, that's, you know. Just like a little kid, Peter points to John and says, well, what about him? How long are you going to let him live? And it's in this answer that we find such an incredible statement. Jesus said to Peter, if it is my will that he, John, remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I think he would say to us today, you're looking at somebody else and you're worried about how I'm working in their life. It's none of your business. We, we, have, we get so consumed with how others are living and what God ought to do to them. Don't look at me so spiritual. I'm sure there are plenty of times you say, God, I don't want to tell you what to do, but if I were you, I'd get that guy, right? I mean, you, we have those feelings. And Jesus said, God, Peter, it's none of your business what I do with John. You follow me. This is right at the end of John's gospel. Jesus is about to leave planet Earth, but he still is saying there's going to be a way for you to follow me. So how do we do this? How do we follow Jesus and we can't see him physically? Well, he had already prepared his disciples in John 14. He was telling them of how he would send his spirit and how his spirit would come and live in them and guide them. And this is what he said, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Today I want to say if you are a follower of Jesus, not one from a distance who respects his teaching, but one who has been born from above and now your heart's been changed and you are part of his family and you're following his lead and he's leading you, he says, in you. The way he works to call us to follow is he lives in us. So today, we're going to look at some ways that we follow Jesus. Now, in this passage that we just read, I want you to notice three words. And if you're filling in the blanks, these are the words, okay? If these are the words that I want you to take special note of as we follow Jesus. He said, the flesh desires against the spirit, the spirit desires against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, and you don't do what you want. Desire. As the spirit of God lives in you, he gives you desires. 
He works in your heart to give you longings. Now, in this passage, it's being pit against the longings of the flesh. And Johnny's going to deal with that next week. We couldn't decide which one to do first. But uh, I, I won this one. So this is the one we get to hear, all right? So the Spirit desires good things in you. The Spirit is working in you to desire the new things of a new heart. Second word I want you to notice. Well, hey, before we leave that, can you just look at the end of verse 17, that you don't do what you really want? Please let me remind you, when Jesus lives in your heart, he changes your want to. He changes your desire. He changes what you know you ought to do because he's working on you from the inside. Now, the second word I want you to notice is if you go down to verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, we must follow the Spirit. If we live. So if Jesus is living in our heart through the presence of the Holy Spirit who's living in our heart, if we've put our trust in Him as our Savior, we've acknowledged that we're sinners that need a Savior, He's brought us to Himself by His Spirit, we've transferred our trust from ourselves to Him, and He now lives in us. Notice how He says it, if you live by the Spirit, you should follow the Spirit's lead. You should let Him guide you. You should let Him lead you. Verse 18 says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So this morning, I'm going to do something that, that I, I don't think I normally do. Uh, we're not going to take apart this passage that we just read. We're, we're not going to break it down word by word, phrase by phrase. We're going to let those three words working in our hearts call us to ask the question, how is it that God works in me by His Spirit? Now, before we do that, I want to give you a warning. I'm about to list, and notice I said some, all right, some of the ways. <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to title this because certainly it's not all of the ways. I'm not even saying it's the best ways. I'm not even saying that this is a good sequence of ways, okay? I just sat down and I said, oh, God, please, I need to put together a sermon. It needs to make sense. And all of a sudden when I said, I'm going to make a quick list here, and it shocked me that they all started with the same letter. And so when they all started with the same letter coming out of my head, I said, well, great, that'll help me remember them, and I, I'll be able to think about them until I get up there and preach. So we'll get to that in just a second, all right? But now let's look at this warning. When people talk about Jesus as their personal Savior, I know what they mean. He's not just the Savior of the world, but He's my Savior, right? Just kind of do your head like that. Is, that. is that your relationship? He's not just that Savior, He's my Savior. Please, that's good, that's right. That's how it ought to be. But there are times when people refer to Jesus as their personal Savior it's almost like he's a savior of their personal making. That's dangerous. We don't make Jesus be the savior that we like. We don't make Jesus be the savior that does the things that just make us feel good. 
but it's a personal relationship. So I can, I can really, you know, I'm, I'm committed to preach these points until I see it in your eyes. So it'll move a lot faster if you just kind of let me know. All right, are you getting the point? All right. He's our personal Savior, but he's not some Savior that we just kind of make the way we want. Let me give you an example. In India, in the news a lot, in India, there's a plethora of gods. I've been there a few times. I've seen the gods of their own makings. And I've seen people that worship a myriad of man-made gods that they think have some influence over the way the world works. And sometimes they hear the gospel of Jesus and they hear that they can be forgiven and they hear that they can have an eternal relationship with God. They say, great, I will take Jesus. But when you really start talking to them, they're adding Jesus to their collection. They're not forsaking all and following the one true living God and his unique only begotten son. I'm not picking on India. I just think it's a place we can visually see. But we can do the exact same thing in our life as long as you make me healthy, wealthy, and wise, you'll be a great personal savior. As long as you do the things I want, that's not what I'm talking about. When I say it's personal. But it is personal. It's a relationship. It's like when he calls you to himself, he doesn't change, but you do. <laughs> he, he doesn't adapt, but you will. Because you want to hang out with him, and you want to let him make you like him. Okay, that's, that's the first warning. The second warning is often I will hear people say, well, God is leading me too. You would not believe how many times I've heard that phrase in, in my ministry over the years. And sometimes when someone says to me, God is leading me too, I actually am bold enough to say, I don't think God's leading you to do that. And they say, well, why not? I'd say, well, it's directly contrary to Scripture. I mean, if God has told us something very clear in Scripture, and you're saying that God's leading you to do something that's contrary to Scripture, for instance, the guy who says, well, I think God's leading me to divorce my wife. You know, I have a hard time living with her. I've met this really sweet girl at work, and I, and I think God's leading me to divorce her and marry this other girl. I'll say, God's not leading you to do that. That's, that's not God. Because God designed marriage. And when marriage gets tough, it teaches you the best lessons of all, of how to not be so self-centered. And so you, you have to be so careful when you blame things on the leading of God. So what I'm about to tell you of the personal ways that God works in our life by His Spirit leading us to follow Jesus is not adapting God to you or somehow letting God lead you to the things you like that are contrary to who He is and how He works. Now, if you've got those warnings, I want to dive into these really personal things. You're either ready to go or you got them. All right, so here we go. We're go I've listed ten. Remember, I told you these are just some of the ways. 
not necessarily the best. And you can tell me if you have one that's better or should have been in here, you can reach me at al at shallowford.church. All right, you see, the, you see the email, you see the website, just, just send me an email. Come on, I'll give you my cell number, but this is online, so I'll wait, okay? So let's just go with this list of some of the ways that God, by His Spirit, remember what we're trying to answer, how do I follow Him? These are some of the ways we follow Him. First, He calls me. Just like He called those disciples, He calls me. Paul said it to Timothy this way, for He saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own mercy and grace 2 Timothy 1.9 has he called you just like he called those guys I mean sometimes it was very clear sometimes it was just an inner gripping I mean sometimes it was it was just God putting pressure you shouldn't keep going that way and over time you recognize it was God calling you he calls us and when he calls us it's not just this hey y'all come all right he calls you by name he knows your past your present your future he knows you completely. It's scary how well he knows us. But in spite of all of that, he calls us to himself. We too have been called to follow him. He convicts me. He convicts us. What does that mean, to convict? But the only way I've ever heard it used in modern Language is some, maybe it's in courthouse, somebody got convicted, you know. Uh, you don't even hear people talk too much about their convictions anymore, of, of things that they're committed to in their heart. What does it mean that he convicts us? He exposes in our heart that something's wrong and we need to make it right. He convicts us. That's what happens when we follow him. Here Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, He will convict you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Think about that. I think what He says when He explains it in the next verse, He convicts us of sin that we believe not on Him, but we trust in ourselves, of righteousness that He went to the Father, that now we don't have to do anything else to make ourselves right with God. We just accept that Jesus made us right with God and we're forgiven and we're released by mercy and by grace. He convicts us of that. Of sin and righteousness and of judgment. That the prince of this world has already been judged in light of the fact that one day the great king of kings and lord of lords will judge and we will be there at his throne as children welcomed home he convicts us that goes on when we follow Jesus now how else do we follow Jesus I know you don't believe I just wrote these down they all started with C but I really did it, it, it's just a bad habit that I'm in and it helps me remember them okay he comforts me 
Do you know that the Spirit, which is what we're talking about, we're talking about following Jesus because the indwelling Spirit is working in our life. Did you know that the Spirit is called the Comforter? In various translations as you read it, He's called the Encourager, He's called the Comforter, He's called the Advocate, and most all of these are translations of the same Greek word, parakaleo, to be called alongside. He comes alongside. He comes to be with us. He comes to encourage us. He comes to represent us. I promise you, there have been so many times in my life that I've responded to heartache in families. And I almost always pray the same prayer one way or another and it goes like this Holy Spirit you can go deeper into our hearts than any human can ever go so I ask you now to be the comforter to give comfort where it's needed Jesus said fear not for I am with you the comforting presence of God is him telling you that he's there and he will do what's right when it feels wrong, when it hurts. He comforts us. And Paul says, look, he comforts us with a comfort so that we can comfort others with the same comfort we've been comforted with. I'm not making that up. That's how it reads in 2 Corinthians. It says, he comforts us so that we can comfort others with that same comfort that we've been comforted with. So when you have heartache and you experience the comfort of God, at some point in your future, if you're willing, He will use you to comfort somebody else who experienced the same problem that you experienced or something like it. And you know, I've noticed that people that haven't hurt much, people that haven't suffered much, people that haven't experienced much pain don't know how to comfort much. But those who've hurt and seeing God still true and right, know how in their following Jesus, they're being comforted and they will have a chance to comfort others. Are you getting that? I figured this morning at least one of these would hit every one of you, all right? So they're, they're hitting me. Are you there? That's what happens when we follow Jesus. We have a different kind of power working in us. It's the power of Him calling. It's the power of Him convicting. It's the power of Him comforting. It's the power of Him changing me. Romans 12 says that we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How do we renew our mind? Do we just get smarter? Do we just have more willpower? No. The power of following Jesus is not super-duper willpower, and it's not some kind of magnanimous intelligence. Following Jesus is letting Jesus be Jesus in me and letting His Spirit change me. Remember, we're following Him, we're being changed by Him, we're joining on His mission. And here Paul reminds us, that when we follow Jesus, the Spirit of God working in us is working to transform me into the image of Christ. He convinces me. How is that different from convicting me? 
Well, I considered it. Maybe it wasn't. And then I looked at Philippians 1, verse 6. And it says, He who began a good work in you will continue it and complete it into the day of Christ Jesus. And part of what the Spirit does as we follow Jesus, He convinces us, Hey, I've still got a plan. I've still got a purpose. I'm going to take for granted that since you're here this morning, God's got a purpose for your life. Because if He didn't, you wouldn't be here, all right? I don't mean you still wouldn't be in church. I mean you wouldn't be on earth, right? But if you're here, the Scripture says that He who began that good work in you is going to complete it. And I, following Jesus, I have this convincing presence in my life that God's up to something and He's working and he's going to lead me. And I'm going to live in Christ. And he's going to give me those new desires. Remember those three words? We're seeing those things happen as we follow Jesus. I know this may seem a little random, popcorny, all right? But it's, it's not intended to be a full course on pneumatology. You want to look up that word, all right? Pneumos is the spirit, okay? It's where we get pneumonia, pneumatic tools, okay? That, that word for spirit. And as the spirit works in us, I said, okay, Father, I don't want the people to think that I just presented them some kind of systematic, comprehensive uh, theology of the Holy Spirit. No, I'm just talking, me and you, trying to follow Jesus, looking at his word, and listening to some of the things he says happens when we follow him. He convinces me that he has a plan. And he chooses. Now, there's actually a word missing here. I thought a lot about trying to just let you fill in the blank with just one word, okay? It should be he chooses in me. He's, he's choosing inside of me. Because the scripture that I chose to go with this is taken from Titus chapter 2. And it reads like this. For the grace of God has appeared to all men, instructing us to set aside sin and to choose to follow Jesus. That's a Gilbert paraphrase, but that's what it says, okay? It says we're saying no to certain things, and we're saying yes to certain things. How does that happen? It's the Spirit of God choosing in me. Now, did I get ahead of myself? I think I did, actually. I think that's supposed to be, we're supposed to be at Philippians 2, so let's back up to that. He chooses, according to Philippians 2, like this. It says that God is at work in me both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's the choosing verse. Please forgive me. I've got blanks up here and I, I'm, I'm trying to fill them in too. All right. How does the Spirit of God work in me as I find him in me? He is in me choosing. That previous verse in Philippians says, Hey, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you read that and you start trembling. Oh, no, I'm supposed to work out my own salvation? How do I figure it out? So he didn't leave us hanging. The next verse says, because it is God who is at work in you, 
both to choose and to do for his good pleasure. How does that work? Didn't list 1 Corinthians 10, 13, but I could have. No temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who every time you're tempted, he'll provide a way to escape so that you might be able to bear it. How does that happen? The Spirit is choosing in you what's right before you give in to what's wrong. He's choosing because the Spirit is leading you to follow Jesus. Now, next blank, all right? It's number seven now. Now it's Titus 2. He challenges me. The Spirit of God living in me, because the grace of God has appeared to me, now He's living in me, instructing me, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously in this present age. I remember how Jesus said to his disciples, when I leave and the Spirit comes, he's going to bring back to your mind all the things I've said to you. He was setting them up and now setting us up to see how we got our New Testament that the Spirit of God was going to bring to mind the good things that Jesus had said, the instructions that Jesus had said, and how God was working in the church to give us his word. Now the Spirit takes that word and he instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, say no to some things, but to say yes to some things, the righteousness and godly way to live. had a lot of coffee this morning. Am I talking too fast, huh? Uh, Are you with me? That's some of the ways the Spirit works. Another way He works, He confirms me as His own. Paul said, He's given us a spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's why orphan care during this this month of May when it's celebrated, that's why looking at orphans and adoption is so important to us, and I'm so thankful that it's become a movement in the church here in America for people to recognize the need to take care of children who have, through whatever circumstance, been separated from their parents and that somebody can welcome them into their home and they can feel at home. They can feel chosen and accepted. And with that clear Bible analogy, Paul says to me and you, the Spirit comes in our heart and moves us to look toward heaven and cry, Abba, Father, I don't know why, but you wanted me, and you're confirming that I'm your own. That's part of what happens as we follow Jesus with the power of the Spirit at work in our life. Here's another one that's a little awkward, but, you know, I thought in C's, and and that's just the way it came, all right? (laughs) He celebrates, but 
Here again, it's not just that he celebrates me, but he celebrates in me. What is the source of your joy? What is the source of your peace? What is the source of you being able to say that God is working all things together for good? What is the source of that? It's the Spirit of God bearing witness in your heart, saying to you, rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I don't know how you kickstart your morning. I've already told you, mine includes coffee. My eyes don't work well until I have some. But I'm not saying it's spiritual, and I hope you don't think I'm unspiritual. All right, but I, I start with coffee, and while the coffee's going, I usually read at least two online devotions just to kind of get me started. I hope that doesn't disappoint you that I don't read the Bible first, okay? I read those while the coffee's making, and then I jump into the Scripture. One is My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. I highly recommend it to you. You can, you can read it online, never have to buy the book, okay? And, you can, and it'll even call up the right date if you get confused about the day of the month, okay? So you can read that. You can also read Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. And you can find a website that'll do exactly the same. And you can call up Spurgeon's Morning. I, I was reading, and I think it was in Spurgeon, but it could have been Chambers, just, just a few days ago. And it went like this. There's no excuse for your bad attitude. Just not one. Christians can't get away with grumbling, pouting, murmuring, complaining, thinking they're walking with God. Inconsistent. Just doesn't go together. So there. All right? How can you not do those things? The Spirit in you is celebrating the resurrection in your heart. He's celebrating your forgiveness in your heart. He is celebrating the mercy of God and the grace of God. He is celebrating the providence of God and the destiny of God in your heart. And as we follow Jesus, the power to follow him is celebrating in me. But here's one more thing I just had to list. And I was so glad it started with a C, all right? He connects me. I hear people all the time say, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not too worried about finding a church, you know? And I know what they're saying. You can hear much better preachers online. You can get just about any podcast or any sermon or any book I mean, you can get all kinds of teaching online, great teaching. And, and I'm not discouraging you. I, I am telling you that not everything you listen to online is good, but, but you, you can figure that out, all right? You can get some great teaching online. But the Christian life was not designed to live like a consumer. That's not the design. It's a relationship. 
And our relationship with God, by definition, puts us in relationship with other Christians. By need for both me and them. That's why Paul would say, and we're not going to read all those verses, but I gave it to you to go read on your own. The Spirit puts you in the body just as He wills. And when you're together, you can't say, boy, the eye is more important than the foot. Boy, the mouth and the ear is more important than the arm. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. How it works is different skills, different gifts, different experiences brought together in one body. I wish you could stand up here to look across this room and, and know I know some of your stories. And I want to tell you, most of you would never hang out with the other one, all right? Just in a world of just picking some friends. You wouldn't have picked this group. But because God put us together in the church, you love these people who are totally different from you, from other backgrounds than you, from other needs than you, and we become family. How does that happen? The Spirit connects us in the body of Christ. Oh, I desperately need people to walk with me. I need people who know me, who will tell me the truth about me. If you find anything wrong with the way I'm dressed or some place I missed shaving my head, uh, you'll know that I forgot to walk by KK and say, check me out, honey, before I go, all right? Because, I mean, I, I need, that was just a physical example. Are you following? I mean, but we get that in our spiritual lives as well. What do all of these things mean and why do they matter? Well, remember, Jesus called us to follow him, and we can't see him here on earth any longer. So he lives in us by his spirit to call us to himself, to convict us of our need, to comfort us in pain, to change us from the inside out, to convince us that we belong, to choose good things from within, to challenge us to believe he is working and we can follow his lead, to confirm in us that we can cry, Abba, Father, to celebrate joy and peace from within and to connect us to others in the body of Christ. And trust me, there are at least 10 more. They probably don't start with a C. It ought to be listed. But I knew you couldn't listen any longer. <laughs> and I knew that that was probably about the right amount of time. Earlier, we prayed that God would speak to us through his word. Let me remind you what we do when God speaks to us through his word. We respond and say, yes, Lord, I hear what you're saying. I want that in my life. We welcome the word into our life. So would you bow your heads right now and do that? As we prepare for a closing song, it's not about the song. It's about us worshiping as we say yes to what God's doing in our lives. So right now, if one of those things just 
poked you really hard, just say yes to God. Just say, Lord, I welcome that into my mind and into my heart, into my feelings, into my will. I welcome how the Spirit of God works in me. And Lord, I want to learn how to follow you, how to walk with you, how to hear you say yes and hear you say no. As the power of the indwelling Spirit becomes the transforming power of discipleship in me. So in Jesus' name, we welcome your word even as we sing.